Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Amber. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of finding strange, unusual places to explore and then getting trapped in them, possibly for hundreds of years. This week, we're talking about Bureau 13, and we have a special guest this week, and that is Trav. Her name is Amber Rowe. She is Tritac family. Her mother, Karen Rowe, is Rich Tahoka's best friend, and they live in Rich's house. Amber came to me for making a character, and I integrated into the Bureau 13 mythos. Describe the character, Amber. You know, uh, Reader's Digest version. Uh, uh, Serendipity is a 3,400-year-old half-succubus that was born in Egypt, grew up in Egypt, grew up in... Uh, in Greece, moved to China, met up with a earth dragon, raised him from an egg, moved back to England, and is now a staff member at Bangor, Maine. What is the other half? Human. Ah, okay. Just just checking. Egyptian nobility, like one of the... Amenhotep III's great-granddaughter. No, Amenhotep III's... Yeah, great-granddaughter. Yeah, so this she's in, the character is involved with Egyptian pharaohs and whatnot. So when I had Saren integrated into Bangermain's background, that gave me the idea with with the other co-hosts here, okay, what exactly is in Bangermain? It has one mention in the D20. Uh, Bruce mentioned before the podcast that there was something in the old haunts module from TriTac about Bangermain. Yeah, the very first reference to Bangermain is in the Haunts supplement for Bureau 13. This came out in the pre-1992 edition. This was what I considered to be the second edition, Bureau 13. In there, Bangor, Maine was actually a location, a physical location in New England. It was the location of a place called Semtech. And Semtech is a large machine tool manufacturing center. However, underneath Semtech, is an extensive Bureau 13 base, one of the biggest ones that has ever been detailed. It is also the primary location for artifact storage and also for enemy or supernatural... Containment. Containment, prison, and study. Uh, There's a whole lot of other things that are there under Semtech. In the new edition, there's no mention of it at all, which is okay because there are previous editions. A lot of the functions, especially the function of the storage of aliens uh, and uh, supernatural enemy ones, was moved to the new Bangor main. But there's so little reference to it in the actual D20 modern that we can actually write the book on it right now if we want to. So that's something we need to discuss. The old Bangor main was an actual physical location, and it can still exist. Just because we have a new, quote, Bangor main doesn't mean that the old one doesn't have to still be there because the new Bangor Main isn't actually in Bangor Main. John, why don't you tell us what is Bangor Main now? With Bruce, it's a little pocket dimension that's fairly large. Would you say like a couple miles across in your version? It has to be at least that large. If not, it's tremendously larger. It, it yeah. just depends on the geography of the place because yeah. not only is it a training center for all the Bureau 13 new trainees, it's also where they're storing all the artifacts and where they're storing all the enemy supernatural. Now, of course, if you drop the enemy supernatural out of that equation, then it's just a training facility and it can be a relatively small area as long as you have enough room to really do all kinds of training. My version is that it's it's not an extra-dimensional space. It's a spell that somehow has made different portions of the United States of America and all its territories contemporaneous. Basically, they're all 
next to each other in a, a large area. And this is one of those things, it's, it's magic, which means things you would normally would think are impossible can be possible. You can actually have a section of land somehow made next door to a piece of land in Texas. Sort of like it's in the United States and its territories, but the only way to do it is through various portals that the, that the Bureau has set up in various locations. So if you set off a nuclear bomb in uh, Bangor, Maine, it wouldn't irradiate all 50 states? Probably wouldn't because it would be stuck in that one area unless the spell was broken. Then it wouldn't irradiate the state. It will just irradiate the, the patches that are there. Now, if you can somehow break the spell, which would probably take a god to do, yeah, it'd probably be self-contained. So how do you get to Bangor, Maine, then? Assuming you're in one of the 50 states. Oh, that's what your GPS is for. Your bureau GPS. You plug in uh, Bangor, Maine, and plunk it in, and, it, and it, use your card to activate it, and it goes, oh, I know where you want to go, and gives you the driving route to the entrance to that piece of that state you're in that's right. now part of Bangor, Maine. Right. What does that entrance look like? Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Because this has been around longer than GPS, how did they do yeah. it before GPS? Maps. Okay, so, so just to make this clear, this is an actual physical spot on the globe. Yes. Okay, all right, just just making sure. I know it's some kind of like magical GPS signal or something. I just want to make sure. Yeah, it's an actual spot. In fact, if, you, if you're there, you can actually see airplanes fly overhead, and then they vanish because they finish flying over that piece of land you're standing on, but not the piece of land next door. It's one of those crazy things, but yeah, you, you go to a gas station, a warehouse, uh, if you're on Wake Island, it's a supply closet I'm on the military base. You use your card, you drive in, open up the back door, drive out, you're in Bangor, Maine. Kind of hard to drive through a closet. Well, no, no the closet you walk through. It's Wake Island's not that big. You know? <laughs> if I were doing it, because haven't, we haven't done Bureau 13 in a, a bazillion years, and we only played it for a short while. We, we were like really big, fringe-worthy. And being that I am kind of fringe-worthy centric, maybe one of the doors, one of the fringe portals on the primary platform, somehow it was either pre-programmed or maybe it's a later campaign and, and, and they figured out how to reprogram it or whatever, but they made it a pocket stop within a prime somehow. So that that's a warp, but instead of it going out to the platform, it goes into this pocket stop and maybe there's another door out of it. You, so you could either go back to the prime world or you could go out onto the platform from the, the Bangor main little pocket stop. So you're saying that there's a short circuit that goes between a pocket stop on the alternate platform and one of the prime portals. No, that's good. That's better. That, that would actually work better than what I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. So in other words, you could be on the prime and you could you could go through the warp into Bangor, Maine, and then you could either go back through that warp or you could go out through the other door and come out on the alternate platform. That would be kind of neat. Yeah. The other alternative would be just to have a magical warp that goes to that pocket stop and totally bypasses the fringe pads entirely. Sure, sure, but I, I kind of like what you just the, the one before that with the yeah. link in the 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 alternate to the uh, to the prime. I think that'd be kind of neat. Now, if any of our listeners have access to the so-called official Fringeworthy maps, and you look at the positive thirteen node, I don't think there is such a, a pocket stop or setup listed on that map. But that's okay because you can do what you want with the maps. Those are just suggestions from us. There's another way of getting into the Bangor Main base when I ran it. And that is when you're going to training. And so instead of driving to the gate and walking through, you're sent a piece of chalk. And you're told at a certain time in the morning, draw a door with a doorknob. And then it becomes a door. Open up, you step through, you're in the training area. Behind you is a door you just drew. So if you got fancy, the fancy shows up as a real door in, the, in your real door design. <laughs> and that's... The other way of getting into Bangor, Maine through, is through a magical door. You kind of confused me there, John. I thought when you were talking about this, you drew the magical door while you were already in Bangor, Maine, and that took you to the training area. You're saying now that you draw a magical door to bring you actually into the contiguous Bangor, Maine area? Yes. This is for new agents. Instead of having them drive and, and go around, you know, for their initial training period, they draw the door. Door pops up, this, so they can just simply say, uh, "Honey, I'm going to be busy down the in the basement for all morning, all day." And you draw the door in your basement and step through, and you come back up later that day, 
40 pounds lighter and a lot smarter. <laughs> and probably a lot beefier, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully wearing entirely different clothing. They, no, they take photographs of you. Make sure you put on the same clothing you wore when you came through. If they have you take it off, put it in a basket, it gets washed. It actually doesn't get washed. It just puts away, and then later you can put it back on again. Yeah. <laughs> just to make sure. Okay. Now, I've always thought of Bangor, Maine at pretty much close to what Blix is saying, where you mm -hmm. literally drive through a warp of some kind, an yeah. invisible warp hidden off the road, some railway access line to a disused spur or something like that, somewhere in New England. The main reason I believe that is because of the novels by Nick Pilata. Mm. In those novels, there is, I believe in the book Doomsday Exam, uh, there is an extensive period of time where they spend in Bangor, Maine, which, as I said, it is a pocket universe. You go through warp to get to it. They can shut that warp off. And there's a, lot, a really large area inside that goes down, 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 uh, much like the depiction of hell, as a matter of fact. <laughs> if you are a fan of Nick Pilata's novels or have never heard of them, then I suggest you go online and try to find them. I'm not sure whether they're carried by Wildfire Press anymore. I'm sure you can find them somewhere, and they're a, a, an interesting read about his vision of Bureau 13 and Bangor, Maine. I have all three plus the prequel one on CD, Damned Nation. And yeah, the three books are great. They're Nick's vision of Bureau 13, but they're still a good read. We'll give it that. I thought his rendition of Bangor, Maine was very interesting and a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I enjoyed it, too. Yes. But he saw it in, in the same sense that it's a pocket dimension and it has a portal into it that is it, you could shut it on or shut it off. And when I thought of Bangor, Maine being in a pocket dimension, I always kind of envisioned it much along the lines of what Nick did. Because I did Bureau 13 d 20 playtesting with my former roommate, Jerry Gentry, my daughter... Former girlfriend, Eric the Enabler, was in the play group. Uh, my friend, Eric T. Spark. I had Bangor, Maine, yes. It was the pocket dimension, yes. A normal day here, 24 hours, equaled one year, 365 days there. The way I had entrance and exit, and John had told me this idea before. All bureau agents have an ID card that you can slip through a card reader. You can go to any card reader anywhere. A door. Card reader with a door. Slide your Bureau 13 card through that card reader, open the door, and it takes you into Bangor, Maine. Now, obviously, once you get there, you're going to be in a holding area. Not, not a holding area, but you're going to be scanned. Because they don't want anybody just grabbing the card and using it. Well, nobody should be able to use the card but you anyways. But you could be doing it under duress or under enchantment. You could be bringing unfriendly companions yeah. with you. Right, yeah, so you're going to be scanned and, well, not probed. I mean, between magic and technology, it could be a hands-off scan, where they just scan yeah. your mind, scan your body, make sure you're not having any foreign contaminants or any enchantment or suggestion on you or geas or whatever. And once you're cleared, then you go into, and it would be like a pocket stop area. It would be an intermediary area, and then from there, okay, you're clear, welcome to Bangor, Maine, you go through now, once in Bangor, Maine, and I think at this point it would be both mine and Bruce's way of seeing it and John's way of seeing it, what would be in Bangor, Maine? What would be the types of things that Bureau 13 would have in this place for their agents? Bruce came up with a long list of questions that we will now go through. <laughs> the first question I have is, is this, in fact, a relocation of the prison that was under Semtech? Oh, I would say so, because let's face it, there is just some stuff that once the Bureau gets a hold of, you they don't, don't want it. Go of. Yeah, you don't want it to escape and be back in the world. So you're going to need to send it to a place where there is no way. Even if it escapes the cell, it will still be in the pocket dimension, which then that pocket dimension is still a finite space. It would be considered in D&D terms a demiplane where there is a finite limit to it. Even if it were to get out of the cells, you could still hunt it down and put it back. Yeah. Just stuff that you don't want wandering around that shouldn't have been on Earth anyway. So right. the containment facility, I think, yeah, that would be a main reason why they would have made Bangor, Maine. Right. I agree. It's a very good reason to relocate it there. 
In Bureau 13, historically, there are now three locations that are listed. The one under Semtech, uh, which could be used for lesser, less dangerous supernatural. There's also the island, which was patterned after... The prisoner. The prisoner? Yeah. Oh, yeah, exile was in the North Atlantic, yeah. It's for retired agents. It's ex-team agents who've gone rogue is specifically sent there. Yeah. I would think also that would be the Bureau's insane asylum, just for agents who have just snapped and they can't be in circulation anymore. And a rest home would be a good term. Yeah, an asylum, I think, is probably the best. <laughs> I'm trying to be diplomatic here, but yeah, basically when the cheese falls off the cracker, that's where you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then here in Bangor, Maine, would be where you'd put the most dangerous and beings that by their very existence are cause trouble in the real world. Possibly gods of thunder, for example, uh, and uh, elementals. Yeah, demons and yeah... Uh, anything that that you really just can't hide very well at all and are really hard to contain, and they're just not willing to play ball with the Bureau. I always see it as containment facilities, but also I saw it as home for R&D. This is where Ray Robinson lived. This is where he was and making all his stuff. And if he can do it someplace where he actually can't nuke in the nearby, say, a Bangor, Maine, uh, the more the better. Okay, um... Ray yeah. Robertson. Basically, folks, he's the Bureau's head tech geek. Anything yep. of a technological ma- nature this man can take apart, put together, reverse engineer. Mm-hmm. He's the go-to guy for anything technological. Magic? Eh, he's not much of a magician, but if you, if it's got electronics or mechanics in it, he's your guy. Yep. Well, if he can be modularized, I'm sure he's fine about taking that and plugging it into something else. Yeah. He also speaks reticulin. That's very useful for all those those crest saucers we keep finding. So he knows their control panels inside and out. (laughs) Ah, I don't stop being more of an educational facility. Well, it is the primary training facility in Bureau 13 now. Yes, that's where you go and get that initial year's training once the Bureau says, how would you like to join because you survived the supernatural encounter relatively physically and psychologically intact. Well, even more so, even beyond the initial year of training, I still see it as a place that agents can go, and there's just a vast, uncomparable access to knowledge there. Libraries, training centers, virtual training, and just access to people who know things. So if you have a question, that's where you go. Oh, yeah, I mean, and because bureau agents... You don't stop learning. You have to keep on top of everything supernatural and alien and dimensional in order to be able to do your job. It was something my high school ecology teacher said to me. If you stop learning, you stop living. And so bureau agents are going to need to be kept up to date on the latest things like, okay, these are the things happening in the lower planes we need to know about. You know, there's been a balance of power. This demon lord is now running when this demon lord has been deposed. So they're going to want to disseminate that information. So like on your bureau agent's downtime, i.e. in between adventures, the agents can go back and say, okay, we found this new information. Instructors like Saren, which I ever created and I integrated into Bureau 13, would be the one to sit there and teach these people this. Let's say also you want to take a course on a certain type of history, such as ancient Greece, ancient Egypt, ancient India or whatever. Mesopotamia and stuff like that. Well, yeah, yeah, various ancient cultures. There are going to be beings, such as Saren, who know these things, and you're going to want to learn from them. Like, okay, we ran across this guy who's using Egyptian magic and whatnot. Well, Saren would be the perfect thing, because she was born and raised there. Or let's say there's somebody using Chinese magic. Then they would have an instructor based in that, that you could go and learn stuff from. Well, what I'm kind of getting at is I don't really see the new Bangor, Maine as a containment facility, but I see it more as as education, not containment. I won't deny that, yeah, there's probably going to be a gigantic containment area, a prison facility, but I think that the new Bangor, Maine will present itself primarily as a means of education and training. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're going to say, first and foremost, it is, but they're going to have to have the cells there. Right, but I think you, it's kind of more... Yeah. Under the table, as it were. 
not a, oh, this is where everything is, because then people are going to want to go, oh, that's where they're keeping my minions, and want all the more to go there. Oh, no, see, this is something Amber and I discussed beforehand. What would happen if certain people found out about where it is or how to get to it? Just I explained to her about that. Let's see, what else would be in Bangor, Maine? John said R&D. Not only Ray Robertson and his tech geeks would be there, in Bangor, Maine, I believe the Magic and Psionic <laughs> R&D Department Magnus would be the magical one. And I forget mm. who it was named after. And then Department Geller, as in Yuri Geller, the famous psychic. One of the best disinformation people we ever put out. Yes. <laughs> uh, basically, with a 365 to 1 ratio as far as time goes... If you were to use the D20 D&D rules for magic and psionic item creation, this is why bureau agents can get this stuff like that. Because time is not an issue. But it is an issue, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> but still, you can sit there and, okay, well, I need this particular magic item. You can have it custom made because there's R&D people. There are, uh, what's the term, artificers that can crank this stuff out. Your biggest problem for you is waiting on transport time. And, of course, in Bureau 13 D20, there is a list, a, a percentile chart on how fast it takes to get there. It might be an airdrop. It might be through the normal mail. It might be a transmat. You know, like, there it is. You get it as, you know, maybe 30 seconds after you order it. And so R&D, anything tech, magic, psi, they're able to crank it out because they've got technicians, artificers, uh, psionic artificers, they're on staff who are the best at what they do. Now, me personally, in my campaign, I said sixth level spells max. You're not going to get a ring of three wishes out of the artificers at Bangor, Maine. But you can get things like backpacks of holding, certain magical weapons, if you have the money and the resources you know, to have it build to your account, or even requisition them. On off time, you can sit there and go to Bangor, Maine and make the stuff yourself if you're into the tech. Because I would say that, and I've said this before, based on what I've read from Bureau 13, normal Earth technology is high PL5. We're on the cusp of PL6. Bangor, Maine, due to alien, time traveling, their accord with IDET, extra-dimensional technologies, they are high PL7. PL8 is their cutting edge. So that would account for a lot of the stuff that you can get from Banger Man. That's the stuff that keeps Ray Robertson busy. So you can get this stuff because they have access to such high technology that R&D would be a big thing in Banger Man. It would be right up there with the training. And there would be just vast buildings of laboratories and workshops for magic and psi in this complex. And obviously they'd have to be shielded, the magic inside, because you don't want a wall getting blown out because somebody missed it a spell. Right. Well, it also depends on how big Bangor, Maine is. If it's large enough, this really isn't too much of an issue. Well, yeah, you could have the really volatile stuff over on the other side of the complex, and you'd have like some type of, I don't know, like a maglev train that can get you to and from. You boom! Know? Yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah. You hear <laughs> it boom off in the distance. Oh, yeah. They, oh, <laughs> they messed that up again. Yeah. You see the, the walls of the extra-dimensional bubble ripple. <laughs> like, uh, it's not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. But I always looked at it and said, well, there is no walls because, well, it's the, like I said, everything's cont contiguous to each other. So it's basically it just wraps around. Whether it does as a globe or as an infinite plane depends on, on how you want to do it. If you got a tall enough building, you can see yourself from the, see the back, head, back of your head with a pair of binoculars. John has a differing method on Bangor, Maine than Bruce and mm -hmm. I do. I would see it as a finite demi-plane. Now, how big it is, I really never thought of that. It could be just the size of an Earth area-sized planet. It could be the size of a state. Delaware. Delaware. Okay, Delaware. fine. Even then, Delaware... Something the size of Delaware, if you were to put a full training facility, full workshops, tech, magic, and side, a containment facility, training areas as far as, like, for natural environs, something the size of Delaware, I think, would cover all of that nicely yeah. within a demiplane. I think you're yeah. right. 
And since we are talking about training, most of the agents are probably going to be spending, especially if you do backstories on uh, the new players, uh, they're going to be spending a, a, some time in Bangor, Maine as a trainee. So when they come into there, what kind of things do, are they going to find there? You started mentioning some of them. Well, you're going to go through an indoctrination process as a new trainee. Once the bureau agents have contacted you and said, okay, you know, we found out who you are, you know, we've done research, they're going to sit there and put you through an indoctrination process, I would think, that they'll play your strengths. Yeah. If you're a mechanic in real life, you're going to get the training in the three, let's see, there's three skills, three permanent class skills and two feats. Uh, knowledge arcana, knowledge civics, and knowledge religion, and you get personal firearms proficiency and armor proficiency light. So you're going to be getting firearms training, how to wear like bulletproof vests and stuff, plus arcana, religion, and civics, basically magic, divine magic, and law. Yeah. Because you're acting as an enforcement agent for the United States government, albeit in a secret capacity. So that is your training right off the bat. That's what you're going to be getting. So you're going to need dormitories for these people. Yes, because these people are going to be staying there for a year within this pocket dimension. So probably they'll have them segregated by gender, I would think. And species. Not all bureau agents are human. Well, I would separate them by team. If you can bring in a bunch of new people, why not just simply you know, see who gets along with each other and then send them to the same training unit so you have a team training together? Initially, when they come in, you're saying, okay, you six people, you're now a team. Let's start training you the best we can. Or are they going to find out where your strengths are before they start billeting you with other people? I would think that they're going to find out what your strengths are first because they're going to want to build up a psych profile on this person over a year. Which, over a year, you're going to get a pretty decent psych profile on person. You get to spend Mm -hmm. an entire year, morning, noon, and night, you're going to get to know a person pretty well. So the staff at Bureau 13 at Bangor, Maine, they're going to sit there and go, okay, this person knows, does this, this, and this. They have these tendencies. They're going to begin the first six months just gauging, training you just in the stuff you need to know. I would think oh, the yeah. second six months is when they're going to say, okay, we're going to start teaching this person small units tactics. Well, no, if you can look at the military version, when I did it, they actually went through six months of basic training, which does include small unit tactic and team building exercises because you got to learn to work together with other people. Yes. So maybe the teams are much more fluid and they watch as they go along because sometimes they've done psyche valves and they put people in the same room and they want to kill each other after, after three months. This actually happened with the Russians. They were trying to do one of those endurance tests. Turned out the people who had scored good for being good workers – turned out to actually people's nerves and, 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 and not work out. You almost have to watch them as they work together and see who works together best. It, it has to be more organic in how we, they work together. Well, you know, NASA has a whole thing, especially when they were doing the, the astronaut training. I, I read this book called Packing for Mars by Mary Roach. Mm-hmm. And it talks all about what it takes to be an astronaut. Part of their training regime was to lock candidates into uh, a small, very, very small space together and make them live together for a couple weeks on a clip. It's really, really difficult, and it would literally wash people out of the program just because they could not stand being around another person for more than a few days at a time. Honestly, <laughs> I'm not one of the people that could do that. I think I'd be washed out in a day or two because I'm really intolerant when it comes to that kind of stuff. I find quirks in people really quickly. I'm not really good at that. We'll put you on the X team then. <laughs> I'm, I'm not good with that kind of stuff. I, I would wash out of that really quickly, and I think most people would. You know, Most people I know, I mean, it's very hard to be super tolerant to other people's quirks and stuff. And not to say there's anything wrong with those people. I mean, that's me. It's all on me. I'm the one who's intolerant. And there's, yeah, you also have to put into consideration different cultures, different lifestyles, and if they're interspecies, just completely different ways of looking at things, different lifestyle habits. That's a good point. 
I want to go back to the the episode we did with Jess Hartley where we were talking about the differences between people playing men and women. You've got male players trying to play a female character and they'll say, well, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to play a female character. And it's like, oh, but you can imagine what it would be like to play another race, a dwarf or an elf or something. Yeah, that's really easy. But playing a woman of your own race, that's more difficult. But, you know, like you're saying, a, a different race in this. How hard is that to play? Uh, well, hopefully it's not so hard as you can't do it. <laughs> One of the entrance conditions for being Bureau 13 is either you have survived a supernatural incident or you were born of a supernatural race. Now, this includes alien, extra-dimensional... Hybrid. Well, a hybrid, yeah. Werewolves. Werewolves, vampires, dwarves, elves, aliens, whatever. And so occasionally they're going to have those people in the Bureau training facility and they're going to have to learn to integrate with a mostly human force. Also, you had said, if I remember right, that there was a large massacre in Bangor, Maine? Yeah, the massacre in 77. Right. That wasn't in Bangor, Maine. Well, nevertheless, it did remove a large number of agents, so we may have all these dormitories, but what are the odds of us really filling them all in? Kind of what I'm thinking is maybe it's primarily single dorms, but you can request to be roommates if you get along with someone. There's two things. One is the question of when, since there was a previous place, Semtech, when was Bangor, Maine, as it is now, created? I would hypothesize, just trying to make you know the various editions work together, that Bangor, Maine, as we know it now, was not created until after the massacre of 77. They said that it took about 10 years for the Bureau to reorganize. Right. So I would think sometime in the late 80s, early 90s is when Bangor, Maine was completed. So that means Bangor, Maine's only been around, as far as Earth goes, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this may also have something to do with them coming into contact with the Fringeworthy. Well, the Fringeworthy, they were only 20 years ahead. The technology that they gave, at the very most, might it, it, it's better firearms, better armor, better computers, and maybe better vehicles. I don't think anything that IDIT would have come up with when they came upon Bureau 13's Earth would enable them to help make Banger Maine. Well, it all depends on when you put them in your timeline. The timeline's been pushed around a lot with each new edition, making it later and later and later, So, while still keeping the Massacre of 77. So when Fringeworthy gets introduced to your Bureau 13 campaign, timeline is up to the GM itself. You know, I, I was just simply saying, with their knowledge of dimensional physics, especially in later time periods, they might have been able to identify this location. I'm not saying that they constructed it. It might have been somehow done in conjunction with the meeting up and the Bureau becoming aware of this larger, multi-universal artifact called the Fringe Pass. Or it might have been a project that has been in progress before Nascar 77 then finally got into place. I mean, we really don't know when the idea of putting all this stuff someplace else so to speak, started. Yeah, if I was just to simplify it, Trav, I would say, hey, they run into the Fringeworthy. The Fringeworthy say, you know, there's this empty uh, pocket stop that's out on your uh, alternate node. And they go, really? And says, well, i got a spell right over here that lets me connect to any alternate demiplane. I wonder if I can snag that puppy. And then, bang, they've got a connection to that pocket stop, and the Bureau... St- takes over from there. IDET doesn't actually have to give them any knowledge of dimensional physics, just merely a location for them to aim at with the magical spells they have that might be able to do that. Because remember, if magic works on any alternate or the prime of a node, it works throughout the entire node. Prime, alternate, system, and star. Right. If you're lucky and the person who can do the spell at least has access to the spell, he happens to be fringeworthy, he can at least make the physical connection by going there and getting a feel for the place and going, okay, I know where it is, I think. Come back, do the spell, and make the, con- and make the actual connection. Right. The original TriTech rules included spells for creating portals. It was quite possible to create such a thing between locations on the Fringeworthy map and Bureau 13 Prime. Yep. Yeah, I would think if you're using the D20 modern rules for magic, basically that would be incantation because... 
uh, dimensional portals and whatnot aren't really in the D20 modern spell lists. They only go up to 5th level, and things like Plane Shift and all that are higher level spells that you would have normally in D&D, but in D20 modern, that was relegated to incantations in Urban Arcana. Right. You could also use just simply an artifact that did it. Well, yeah, yeah. In that case, then, you could just say that it was magic from an earlier age that they dumped into this device, yeah. Yeah, it could have been nothing more than a door or something. You have two doors, no matter where they are, they open up to each other. So you got to take the other door all the way to the uh, pocket stop, set it up, and now you have an entrance from one to the other. That, of course, puts the kibosh on John's idea, which I think is still a very interesting idea. I'd like to hear somebody going with that idea and telling us how it works out. So definitely the training center is going to be a world of wonders. Everybody who goes in there, you know, they're going to hand them virtual reality goggles and they're going to have PDAs that are the power of a crazy supercomputer. They're going to be laying on air beds that are, that are actually floating on air. I mean, there's going to be all kinds of crazy, wonderful things in this training facility. Here on Earth, we are high PL5. In a year's time, you are going to a culture that is a high PL7. You're jumping two tech levels in a year. It's going to be a culture shock for about 99.9% of the people that get into bureau training. They're just going to be going, you know, it's the whole Arthur C. Clarke thing. John, if you want to cover that phrase real quick. Any technologies that's indistinguishable, um, no, that's wrong. A sufficiently... Advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, so basically Thank these you, people Maurice. are going to be looking and seeing this stuff, and they're just going to be going, holy crap. It's going to be a higher level of magic than they're used to, because here's where people who are hedge mages or you know, kitchen witches are getting trained now how to really use your abilities. Oh, yeah. They follow the most of the stories and things like that that we read. If you're a mage, you know, you've got a master and you're studying a few tomes that your master has been able to acquire. And you might be able to learn a dozen or so spells and master them over the course of a lifetime. You go to the Bureau of Training Facility. As you said, John, your spell book is the Bureau spell book. They have every spell there is. You're drinking from the fire hose now. Fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, it's your first encounter with certain supernatural, too. This would be the first time you meet a friendly vampire, a friendly werewolf, a friendly ghost, whose name is not Casper, but he's a drill surgeon who was shot in Vietnam. And he's now he's your personal trainer during your time there. I can hear it now. Death is no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Son, I am dead and I can do that even better than you can. Now get out there and run, 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 run. Oh my goodness, we turned on John's uh, drill sergeant persona. Oh. <laughs> I was in the military. I can imitate a drill sergeant. <laughs> so here we have this, well, we don't know what size it is. It's as big as it needs to be. Training facility, which has everything you'd want as far as creature comforts so you can recuperate as quickly as possible. But then you have all these classrooms with high-tech displays and instant availability to materials and videos and so that you can learn as quickly as possible. But then you also have the other more specific areas where you're going to get trained, like basic personal fitness. You may be a 90-pound weekly when you come in, but they're not going to let you stay that way. Oh, no, you're going to have the best that the world has to offer in personal training, martial arts, body conditioning, mental conditioning, because you got to be strong to continually handle the supernatural. The first time you go through a supernatural encounter and you get to the point where you're in Bangor, Maine, it's more luck than skill. They're going to teach you how to be sturdy and to safeguard your sanity dealing with this stuff as a matter of daily occurrence. I'm sure that they would have combat instructors, as I said, from all over the yeah. planet. You're going to have everything from United States drill sergeants to Italian professors of sword fighting to kung fu masters, you know, people on like Corey Everson and I'm trying to remember other personal fitness people, uh, Denise Austin, Corey Everson. You're going to have those type of people training you how to be best physically and psychologically. Because in the advanced training option I put in Bureau 13 D20, you not only get, you know, your plus one ability increase every four levels, it goes to every two levels. So basically you can retcon your character 
If you're a fourth level character, so far you've only gotten one ability increase. You now get that one you would have gotten at second level, and you can put that into strength, or into con, or into dex if you want to be a little more agile, or into intelligence and say, you know, you've, you've learned a lot more. Or wisdom, you become more perceptive. Or for those like into disinformation, you get that plus one in charisma. Well, now your bluff, diplomacy, and all those skills go up. So, yeah, you're going to be trained in every facet of mind, body, and spirit. And in a year's time, that can be quite a lot. And like John said, there's going to be times basic training. The 90-pound weaklings will not be 90-pound weaklings when they get done. And they come back a day later, and they're going to be a little tougher and a little stronger. Smarter. Yeah. Well, no, the 90-pound weaklings still, they're not going to... I mean, coming back in a day's time and having put on 40 pounds of mass, wow, the Bureau of Disinformation Department's going to be busy on that one. Uh, <laughs> Keto Masters, you don't have to have mass. It is simply you have to be more wiry and more flexible than whoever's attacking them. Right. Well, also, you can't put on 40 pounds of mass in a year anyways. If you're going to go by physical reality, you can only generate about 7 to 10 pounds of real muscle mass in a year. Now... It doesn't mean that's not all the weight you can put on as far as muscle is concerned because what you do is the muscle that you do have, you can thicken up all those muscle fibers through use and that will add additional muscle mass of the existing muscles. But 40 pounds is probably a little bit high for a single year worth of training. That, that doesn't sit right with me. Muscle actually weighs less than, than fat. So just because you put on 10 pounds of muscle doesn't necessarily mean you're weighing 10 pounds more. You could be 30 pounds lighter. Well, most people who go into intensive training find themselves not actually getting smaller. They're gaining muscle at the same time they're losing fat off their body, yeah. and they end up actually heavier for their same volume than they were before. I can attest to this. When I went to basic training, I did lose about 40 pounds after six months. Running every day, calisthenics every day, Exercising every day, I shed about 40 pounds. But that's only because I was busy doing that every day. You know, the second you stop doing that, you got to really watch what's going on. Otherwise, it comes right back. Yeah, because I do medium daily physical labor with my job. And the first year and a half I was at that job, I was sitting in a pickup truck all day delivering parts. So I got out into the warehouse and I was running my butt off every day. I dropped 40 pounds and pretty quickly. Not only because of just the running, also because it gets hot there. So, yeah, you are sweating a lot. You, uh, What's the phrase I use, and it would apply here in Bangor, Maine? You learn to sweat in multiple languages. Bangor, Maine will put characters through the ringer. They will mm -hmm. push them to their limit to make sure that they can, not only to strengthen them, but to make sure they can withstand vast amounts of punishment on many fronts, physical, psychological, spiritual. Agents are pushed to their limit. And the reason they're pushed to their limit is because your other teammates are counting on you to save their lives. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not just for your benefit. Hey, let's talk about this in game terms, though. We've been talking a lot in conceptual terms, but this is a gaming podcast. Let's hit some of the, the, the gaming aspects of this. So let's say somebody starts a campaign where they're not playing a Bureau 13 agent. They're playing a regular person. Um, you know, you join the Bureau and you go to Bangor, Maine, you go through this training. What does that mean? So let, let's say um, Bruce or, or, or Trav, why don't you handle this from the D20? And then and John, why don't you handle this from, uh, from Savage Worlds? Because eventually we're going there with this. We're going to take a character who is prior to going to the Bangor Main training, and then he comes out. What happens? What's that template exchange? Okay, I found something that I used in the Bureau 13 D20. It is called Advanced Training. Now, due to OGL... I got it from Blood and Vigilance by RPG Objects. You add it to your occupation. So in D20 Modern, if you have, well, I'm a doctor. Well, then it would be a doctor with advanced training. What happens is that you get an additional four skill points at first level, an additional one every level afterward, an additional feat at every fourth level. Gosh, let's see, what else? The additional ability increase every second level as well as every fourth level. And I just put it that you retcon your character a little. Now, if your character is starting out at first level, okay, you get a few extra skill points and an extra feat at first level. 
Now, let's say you're starting your characters at, oh, I don't know, 6th level. Let's say you've been playing a normal D20 modern campaign, and you decide to throw in the Bureau. Let's say it was a police, paramilitary-type campaign, and the GM throws at you, okay, well, guess what? This, these weren't regular drug dealers. You join the Bureau, and 6th level, you've gained a couple extra feats, you've gained some more skill points, you've gained some ability increases. You're a little more powerful now, and there's no ECL change. There's no level adjustment. Because you've gotten maybe one or two extra ability. As I said, it's not worthy of a level adjustment. But yeah, you're pretty decent now. You have more skills, you have more feats, and the way it is in the Bureau is that they're going to play to your strengths. I, I mentioned this earlier on. I, didn't get, I, I can go on this point now. Let's say you were a mechanic. You worked in a garage and you ran across Supernatural somehow. Besides the basic training that you all get and also the, the three skills and the two feats, oh, if you were a mechanic that worked on cars before, oh, the things you'll be working on in the Bureau. Mm-hmm. Ray Robertson will say, boom, read this. And they're going to start you out from where you know. If you know A and B, they're going to teach you C, D, E, and F. As I said, in Bangor, Maine, you jump two tech levels in a year. Your skill points and whatnot are going to go more into the skills that you have. Are you saying that your level doesn't go up, you just gain extra things for the levels that you already have? I do it as retconning the character, and I even put it in D20, Bureau 13, where it said, yeah, your players will be quite amazed when they find out they get all these things because you've retconned the character and you get the extra feat at first level. An extra feat every fourth level as well. The ability increases every uh, even level. Uh, the extra skill I, I, points. I like that because in a way what you can do is you could you could actually play a campaign where there's nothing supernatural going on. You're playing a whole completely different campaign. You're playing some kind of – let's say you're playing D20 Modern. You haven't introduced anything – supernatural whatsoever maybe you're even doing like a a mercenary campaign where your guys are a bunch of mercenaries working you know for the military overseas or something like that your characters reach like fourth level and then you decide i'm going to throw the bureau in on these guys Uh, the bureau brings them in and says you know we want to bring your team in because they had an encounter with some werewolves or something like that and then you can just retcon their character so that the level doesn't go up. They just get all these abilities that they would have gotten at first, second, third, and fourth level. Right. The Bureau will play to your strengths. Okay, we're going to make you you plus. You're a mechanic. You're going to learn to start working on, like, grab tech type stuff if you just did cars. Let's say you were a con man that in a back alley ran to a werewolf. Yeah, they're going to teach you how to handle a gun and wear armor, but they're also going to make you part of the disinformation department. You're going to learn to BS on a whole new level. If you're a housewife that just happened to, or a kitchen witch, oh no, you're becoming a full-fledged mage. Like Bruce says, your spell book is now the Bureau's spell book. Most of them are looking for power. Their whole reason why they got into being a kitchen witch is because they wanted an edge on normal... They, they found some way to do magic using herbs for magical components and whatnot when they get into the Bureau and they are given access to real spells, yeah, they'll have the real spells, but they'll still learn to use the kitchen the kitchen components to cast a fireball. Blix, you would get these extra in-game mechanical benefits for spending the year in Bangor, Maine. But at the same time, we don't want anyone to get this idea that you come in as a 90-pound weakling and you leave as Rambo or as the Man of Bronze. You're improving, but it's not going to be a sea change. It's more of a sea change in the sense that you are now part of a larger agency and have access to its resources. Yes. Because I know that some people are kind of looking at themselves and going, well, gee, man, you go, I, I come in as Mr. Joe Blow, and I now I leave as being a, you know, I don't know, a D20 Polarance, a 10th level character, you know, 20th level character? No, I mean, the Bureau has access to various treatments and whatnot that, it, depending on the GM, you could get that, but they're not going to give that to you at the beginning. That's stuff you have earn access to. 
Yeah. yeah, I think that the scope of the information that you have to absorb is actually the biggest challenge that you have. Yeah, like like I said, you're gaining two tech levels knowledge in a year. You're going from PL5 to high PL5 to PL7. Yeah. Most people you know, will be getting PL8. As I said, PL8 would be their cutting edge, but high PL7. We're talk, I'm talking in D20 parlance, Amber. I've shown you the tech okay. level, the progress level charts. Right. Yeah. And uh, you can, uh, folks, you can get this in the future SRD. I mean, you could Google up future SRD, and it'll give you the progress levels for D20 modern, zero to nine. Yeah, you're going to deal with that, and most people that walk into Bangor, Maine as a trainee, they're not going to gain the full scope of what Bureau 13 has. They're going to go with what their minds can comprehend. Oh, cool, new weapons. Oh, cool, this body armor. Oh, cool, this new computer. It's going to be the science and tech geeks are the ones that are going to appreciate. And if you're playing a character, let's say you were a lab tech, and something happened where all of a sudden you got in contact with the supernatural, that's when you're going to really start getting into what the Bureau has access to. But any Bureau, new Bureau agent, their main strength is that they are now part of a much greater whole. One of the biggest surprises I ever threw on my players was someone said, oh, uh, I got this great little create material spell. I said, yeah. So how long is it going to take before you make some plutonium? Oops, yeah. Hmm. And they go, on, I can do that? I said, well, it says create material, doesn't it? Yeah, see, that's the thing. Most players, they when new players, when they get into the Bureau... When their characters get into the bureau, they're going to start learning after a while. And this is, of course, GM Fiat. After you are the one that controls what Bureau 13 has and you're allowing your players to get access to. Still, I mean, if your players are really imaginative, sky's the limit. I mean, obviously, you're not going to be given godlike power, but still, yeah. someone who has Bureau 13. If you go up against like normal thugs, most likely just with your skills and the stuff that you're given as a normal equipment pack, you're going to wipe the walls with most criminals. Yeah. Okay, Flex, <laughs> did we answer your D20 uh, benefits for joining? Yes. This is in contrast to how we did it for Fringeworthy, where we instead said, okay, here's the pack of skills and feats that are given to you, and then you just gain... Plus two level adjustment. But otherwise, you treat your character under normal character generation rules. Yeah. yeah. Hey, John, because so, I, as I said, I am totally ignorant on the Savage Worlds <laughs> rules still. I just haven't had time to sit there and go yeah. through it. The biggest difference between D20 and Savage Worlds is the smaller skill set. Much smaller skill set. Sort of follow the same pattern that Trav used, only in this case, we actually gain actual experience points and levels. Typically, we get, you would get four raises, and that would take you from a novice to a seasoned uh, character. and But these are defined raises, though. You don't get to choose the last one. The first one of the three physical stats, agility, strength, and uh, vigor, whichever is lowest gets knocked up one die level. If your vigor's at D4, it goes to D6. That just represents being toughened, a little better training. Then next goes into your uh, training. Because when you handle new skills, you get knowledge supernatural. If you already have fighting and shooting, whichever is lowest, actually they, they both get raised up to the uh, limiter, which is which is agility. If they're already at the limit, you just pick one and it goes above. If if you if you're missing one, you get it at D four, which is the lowest level. So it represents being trained in that level. The last raise is a free elective. You can do whatever you want because it is at season level. You can literally do whatever you want with it. You can buy another uh, attribute raise to your strength or, 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 in, or vigor or to your intelligence or your spirit. Uh, or you can buy another skill or raise skills you have already or improve that supernatural from D4 to D6 or D8, depending on how smart you are. You come out a little tougher. You, you're better at fighting, hopefully. You come out tighter, smarter, with some extra knowledge ready to go out there. Instead of having multiple knowledge skills, we would probably look at just one knowledge skill for supernatural. Knowledge supernatural. That's your training that I think is covered like in three skills or two skills in D20? Knowledge arcana 
And in D20 Modern, they call it knowledge, theology, and philosophy, but it's basically D&D's knowledge of religion. Yeah, so in this and case, then, now Supernatural would cover all, all that, basically. Uh, we all, you also get knowledge civics, which basically it's the law. The law. In um, Sarah's World, you can also have what's called a common knowledge. So a lot of things get, get tossed into common knowledge. Your okay. common knowledge includes civics, so you don't have to waste a skill slot for that. Okay. Just so I understand, John, yeah. is the methodology, do you create a character at like a novice level and then boot them up this way into seasoned? Yes. Or is this all part of just, you just create the character seasoned and take this into account? You could do it either way, Bruce. It depends on what level you want to play your campaign. If you want to start out a, a basic campaign, you could start with the novice character. But sometimes people like to play their characters before they're fully developed uh, or before they're actually going to enter the campaign to see where they're going. You could be a seasoned character, and now you get bumped up to, as a veteran, I think, is next one up? Whatever it is, it's every four raises is another level. You start at whatever rank you were, and then just add four raises to it and just be the next rank. Whatever level you or rank you decide characters, or the, the, the other characters out there, the NPCs and such in the world are going to be, then you're going to bump your PCs up one level higher. Is that what you're saying? The average person is considered to be a novice. They usually have their D6s across the board for the attributes, and they have just you know standard skills. You give them like two or three skills. They usually get D6 levels, so they're just average people. Right, so you would assume, therefore, that after training, all your Bureau 13 agents would be seasoned then, correct? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you, John. Mm-hmm. Just to make a comparison, in the original TriTac rules, what you got as a result of Bureau 13 training was you got to about eight new skills at, I think, a D4 plus two skill level. Yeah. And eight was considered to be professional grade. So you were kind of like novice in all those skills. But still, the skill set was one that you would have really gotten nowhere else just because of the amount of various sources of training that are in Bangor, Maine now. Right. Well, I'm just saying in the original system, these were all primarily skills that you would not normally have. Yeah. Things like psionic study, knowledge magic, supernatural sensitivity training. Uh, there's a number of things that it could have been, but that was... Evidence dispersal and stuff like that. Yeah, that was another Evidence dispersal, right. Hacking uh, and wiretapping. For those who aren't familiar with Sarah's Worlds, when I say uh, common knowledge, common knowledge just defaults to your smarts. So if you have a fairly smart character and things have been put into your common knowledge, like civics and inference dispersal, it's at your smarts level. So you could actually be a lot better at some things, but you just don't have an actual skill to go along with. But it's considered part of your common knowledge. So you kind of covered this uh, a little bit, Trav. You mentioned that as part of your training, it seems to me that they're going to want to make you very familiar with operating in a number of different environments. They're going to have areas where you can see what it's like to be in really cold environments or possibly learning how to operate underwater, learning how to operate in low atmosphere, perhaps, because you never know where you might be. Well, yeah, I mean, and this is something Amber and I talked about a lot when we were creating CERN, integrating her into the Bureau 13 canon. Bangor, Maine is going to have because it's this pocket dimension, it's going to have various climates altogether. You're going to have forest, jungle, mountain, arctic, desert, underwater, high altitude, low altitude. Your body is going to be conditioned for various types of environments. And depending on how you want to run Bangor, Maine, you could actually have the various environs pressed together due to dimensional compression or whatever facet you use, or they're magically compressed. Or it could all be done through VR simulation, like, you know, a holodeck type thing. But either way, your characters are going to be trained to operate in a various amount of environments just so you can be ready for it. For D20, you might want to, you know, dump a, a skill point or two into survival. <laughs> Even though that's an every man's skill, you might want that because you never know when you're going to be out in the middle of a forest while you're tracking something. Because the United States, which the Bureau primarily operates in, yeah, they pretty much have all those climbs. Mountain, desert, well, no, no jungle. Oh, yes, Hawaii. Okay, 
Point taken. Thank you, John. Yes. And the Everglades. Swamp. Yeah, that's another climb that I forgot. Yes, thank you. Marshlands and whatnot. So, yeah, the United States has every type of climate available on the planet. Jungle, desert, you know, forest, coniferous and deciduous. Coniferous would be like pine forest, for those of you not familiar with the term. Deciduous would be your elm, maple, oak. Arctic. Don't forget Arctic. Well, yeah, Alaska and, you know, like North Dakota and Minnesota in the middle of winter. Yeah, it's... (laughs) This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers, this was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.